Bom bom bits, a bowl full of chips. Bom bom bits, with Chappy and Pip. Bom bom bits, two young brothers. Bom bom bits, talking college football. Bom bom bits, and life and humor. And some funny ass clips. So relax and unwind with a bowl full of chips. Hey everybody, we are so glad to be joined today on a special Bowl Full of Chips podcast by the guys from the Eyes on Big podcast, Mr. Big Kurt and Mr. Jeffrey the Greek. Gentlemen, how are you guys doing tonight? Phenomenal. Great. Thanks for having us, Chappie. This has uh, honestly been a long time coming and, uh, you know, we've kind of talked off air, but, you know, this is uh, the, the genesis of this happened about six months ago, right after we kind of got started and we we got to interacting with one another. But uh, for those who don't listen to the Eyes on Big podcast already, it's a Big Ten-specific football podcast, and it was really the inspiration for Bip and I starting our own national podcast. Obviously, we have uh, a close flavor to the Big Ten, but we wanted to branch out nationally uh, without stepping on any toes from our mentors, so to speak. So um, guys, we love the setup. We love the style, the methodology that you have. So for those who are not listeners already to your podcast, uh, tell us and tell our listeners a little bit about what you do to set up and, and how, how you came about coming up with the idea for your podcast. Yeah. So this is big Kurt here. Um, the, we started thinking about the podcast because we would have these weekly phone conversations where all we did was talk football for, I mean, sometimes a couple hours. We're both traveling sales guys. So, yep. And at the end of every conversation, we would say, this is a podcast. And so that's how we got it, got started. And that's kind of how we like to record. We like to make it sound like just two guys talking about sports. Yeah. And, and, that's what I really appreciate about it. I know that Bip and I, we sometimes get a little heavy on analytics and maybe the, the tone gets a little too serious and we do that on purpose. Uh, that's just our style, but it's, it's refreshing to hear two guys kind of just sounding like a couple of, uh, with all due respect, bar flies who are uh, talking about what they love about college football, what they hate about college football and, and how it all mixes in well. And that's honestly how, how Bip and I kind of got started as well you know, at family functions, being brothers, we, um, you know, we would talk college football to others ad nauseum and kind of get the eye rolls and the, and the looks as if to suggest, why don't you guys go somewhere else and talk about this? And so we thought, Hey, we're going to do that. And we're going to branch it out and, and let a lot of people hear about it. So it's not just people who, who can't appreciate it. So, um, yeah, now you're sharing, now you're sharing the eye rolls with the rest of the country. So that's good. Good of you guys. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, you know, we 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 wanted to uh, we wanted to spread that out and not have it just be uh, regional. So uh, it's good. Yeah, and ours is so, maybe uh, the one thing I would add is we want it to be a little bit regional. Um, obviously, eyes on big is for those that don't know, it's the I for Illinois and the I for Iowa. So that's where the title came from. Um, we felt like with uh, the four letter network and several other uh, media outlets, everything's pretty much uh, um, centered on the SEC. We're not afraid to show our biases on our podcast, the SEC and people that chant SEC drive me nuts. So we decided a podcast that was 
focus more on the uh, uh, the Big Ten Conference would uh, find an audience for us, and I think we've we've proven that to be true. Yeah, and to add to that, um, you know, it, when you when you watch that four letter work network, you rarely hear about teams other than Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State, and we wanted to give coverage to all teams in the Big Ten. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I really appreciate about your guys' podcast is you'll talk uh, not always so glowingly about teams like Rutgers um, or even your favorite uh, Illinois, Kurt, but um, you give them their due and, and you, you provide it in a way that's uh, from a wide angle lens, so to speak. And, you know, it's refreshing because even in some of the, the national publications, both in print and online and even in, uh, in TV, they you're right they they'll hit on the obvious ones the big four from the big 10 east and maybe the the flavor of the week from the big 10 west but it's really just a an at the surface not very deep look at it so that's that's what really what bip and i appreciate about your guys's podcast is that it's it really goes in depth and you know even as far as like your housekeeping and your news and notes uh segments um it's it's tidbits of information that maybe you would have to to hunt a little bit further to find and it's refreshing to get that on a podcast and to get it from two guys that are pretty eloquent speakers and don't sound like a couple of boobs uh, out of their college dorm who can't handle their words just yet so uh we love it and and we encourage you guys to keep up the good work and we're glad to have you on today appreciate it so uh you know preseason picks that's that's the big thing right now some some have already released theirs, maybe a little bit way too early. Some are, are holding back a little bit. I know that you guys are, are going to be doing yours soon. So without necessarily giving away any sort of secrets or telling us who you think is going to finish exactly where, what do you factor in when you're assessing a team's fortunes in the coming year? How do you go about um, looking at projecting the, the 2019 season in the Big Ten? Um, I guess I'm kind of an inside out guy. So I like to look at returning starters along the O line and D line first. Um, and then after that, it's pretty much quarterback and difference maker. Uh, and difference maker sure. could either be a running back, wide receiver, or a really good linebacker or, or D back. That's kind of where I start and then just start formulating my own personal opinions from there. Yeah, and then for, for myself, I like to look at more returning production as opposed to just returning starters. So for instance, yeah. this year you've got Wisconsin losing a lot off of their offensive line, but at the same time, they've, the guys that are filling in have played quite a bit. So it's not like they're totally green or maybe Iowa, you can say the same on their defensive line where Epinesa wasn't even a starter last year. Yeah. I've been, right. We've got our, obviously we're dug into Illinois and Iowa ourselves we have over the last year uh, branched out. We have our insiders <laughs> at each uh, school. And one of the things I like to ask my insiders is, okay, I've looked at this magazine. They say this guy is not a returning starter or that guy. Why don't you give me your take on if that person should actually be considered a returning starter or not? Because to me, that is something that's just impossible for those magazines to get 100% accurate. They're, they're really just going off of last year's starting lineup. Right. Right. And, you know, that's that's always been a, a stat that I've kind of pushed off to the side because I've seen some publications where they will grant somebody who literally started one game a season ago as a returning starter um, or it'll be somebody who maybe will start in the slot at wide receiver and uh, 
maybe get the fourth or fifth most snaps on the field of the receivers for that game. But somehow that's, you know, that gets equated into being a returning starter. So I agree. And that's where as, as ugly as Twitter can be, it's, it's really a great resource, I think, to, to tap into some of those insiders for these college football teams. And obviously like with anything in the world, you have to kind of weigh what resources you can count on and what resources are just, you know, college football slappies, but uh, it, it is, it has proven to be a, a good tool to use and, and to get better depth and insight for each of these. Teams. For sure. So, uh, well, let's get right into the meat of things. Uh, you know, let's not beat around the bush anymore. Big 10 2019. It's uh, perpetually a, a conference that is trying to keep up with, as you guys mentioned, the SEC, because, um, you know, Greek, I, I think I saw a tweet you said you put out recently today or yesterday that, uh, you know, it's it, your frustration is not so much with how much the SEC is built up, but how much college football fans allow themselves to get it beat into their brain that this is the the best conference. And, and I'll be honest, um, I, I'm somebody who who does look at the SEC as a as a conference that does have strength, not necessarily equating it at this moment in time better or not as good as the big 10, but certainly, you know, deserving recognition. But, uh, you know, you do make a great point that it's, it's something that, you know, it's, is crammed down our throats and, you know, we're almost taught you better think that the sec is all powerful or there's something wrong with you. Yeah. I mean, I've tried to make this point, I don't know, 50 to 1 million times on Twitter that it's not uh, the fact that People have, it's just, it's just black and white. Everything is so black and white and no shades of gray. You know, if you guys are Star Wars fan, it's like the Sith. They only deal in absolutes, right? Okay. So what I'm saying is there are shades of gray. And if you look at the Big Ten compared to the SEC, okay, the the thought process is that the, you know, number three team in the SEC is leaps and bounds bigger, better than the number three team in the big. I don't believe that's true. I don't believe it's true at all. I think you, if you actually look at the uh, bowl uh, records between the two conference, they're really close to being even. And I think it was the last five years or something. The last time I saw the stat, I can't remember exactly. I, I don't know if this is cheating or not, but for me, I put Alabama on a different plane right now. Obviously Clemson is on the plane with them, but if the entire big 10 conference is being held up against Alabama, well, not only is the Big Ten falling short, the entire other 13 teams in the SEC are falling short too. Bama absolutely oh, yeah. dominated them for pretty much the better part of the last decade. So why is it that you know the Big Ten conference is held up against uh, Alabama where the rest of the SEC gets a pass from getting their ba- brains beat into them pretty much every week? Sure, sure. Well, and, and Bip and I talked about this. I would love to see a postseason um, game or a late season game where the SEC has to travel yeah. north Amen. and play in Columbus or play in Champaign or play in uh, State College in November on Thanksgiving weekend or the weekend before where the elements are a little bit out of control. And, you know, instead of playing the Citadel on November 10th, Correct. you're coming up <laughs> and you're playing Minnesota in uh, TCF Bank Stadium uh, during that weekend. Yep. So I, I think that that's a, another unfair and, and uh, not on a level playing field when, when these conferences get compared. And, you know, of course, everybody jumps to, well, how are they going to do in a bowl game? Well, 
Um, I, I'm not a big believer in bowls anymore anyway in terms of a true measure of where teams end the season because of guys who elect to sit out. Um, you know, with uh, a lot of teams now are, are able to practice and play players who really didn't weren't eligible during the, the, the greater part of the season, but somehow, um, you know, it works out to where they can be eligible to play in a bowl game, uh, you know, with, with logistics and whatnot later at that point. So um, I would love to see that dynamic thrown in, but all four of us know that the SEC would never, Mason ever Dixon line would like to see that happen, but it's never going to happen. Right. Yeah. No, exactly. So, uh, well, uh, let's let's start with you guys because you are the Big Ten experts. Let's hear from you, uh, and we'll start with you, Big Kurt. Starting with the the Big Ten East, who are the two leaders in that division for you? And you don't have to necessarily say what record you think they're going to have, but um, top two as we're going into 2019. Uh, gun to your head, you're you're putting the chips on the table. Who are the top two in that East? In 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 okay, order. gun to my head. I'm not scared about being wrong on this one. Ohio State one, Michigan two. I hate being boring and saying that, but that's just how I feel. Uh, starting with Ohio State, um, I'm going to use the test that the college football playoff committee uses and and go with the eye test. I just think that they're the best, most talented. I just shouldn't say the the most talented team in the Big Ten still. And yeah, I realize that there are are issues if Justin Fields goes down that's going to be a problem but they, they have the most talent yeah and uh so so why Michigan uh to Michigan I mean, too I would say they, I think Michigan in terms of returning production which is important to me it's that's probably the number one factor for me is probably the best roster in the Big Ten from top to bottom but I'm just yeah. still skeptical that khaki pants can beat out Ohio State until he does it until he shows me he can do it I'm just going to stick with Ohio State. Yeah. Now, I am really interested in their changeup on offense with the addition of Josh Gaddis as the OC. I'm interested in their their yeah. so-called pro spread, no huddle offense. I think that's um, a good move by Khaki Pants to to move more into a, a you know more dynamic type of offense. But I, you know, and I'll go back to until I see him do it, I'm still going to put my money on Ohio State. So, so to use a, an analogy, it's almost like uh, Khaki Pants has updated to Chrome instead of using Ooh, Internet Explorer. Good in one. His offense. <laughs> I hear. Uh, uh, what about I, you? Thanks. <laughs> what uh, What about you, uh, Mr. Greek? How do you see the East finishing one and two? Yeah, um, I, I would pretty much reiterate a lot of what Bicker just said. Um, Day intrigues me as a play caller. I have that much faith in him as a play caller. I think he will be fine with Justin Fields. To me, it comes down to the health of Justin Fields. If that remains constant, I got no problems with Ohio State. With Michigan, um, I guess you could kind of say the same thing like you already hit on with with Gaddis uh, uh, taking over. I've heard nothing but amazing things with him, so I feel like I've I've drunk, I've drank enough Kool-Aid with that, with Michigan that I believe in that too. And the one thing I would add is you would think, I mean, there's, there's uh, four of us in the room, if you will, talking and, and all other media people, it's 2019. How many times do we have to doubt Michigan state and D'Antonio and we forget all about them. They're just dead. That's it. It was a good run by Dan Antonio. Yeah. What happens those years? (laughs) Yep. That's exactly this right. come up, rise up, yeah. and surprise everybody. I mean, just watch, I'm just saying, watch out for Michigan State. That yeah. defense is not going anywhere. If that offense goes from putrid to okay, 
<laughs> a 10 win team. Uh-huh. That's right. And if it goes from putrid yeah. to good, it's a, it, that's going to look could, a lot like the yeah. team that made the college football playoffs. Yeah, I just, you know, it's something to, something to consider. So one more thing about Ohio state is I think it plays their advantage that they play Michigan the last game of the season. You know, Michigan's a pretty, um, um, uh, they got a lot of uh, experience. Uh, Justin Fields is going to be learning this new offense. You got a new play caller. So I think by the time they get to the last week of the year, it's going to be a much different team from Ohio State. Yeah, I I would agree with those. Um, I have those same two teams, but I actually flip it. I'm going to go Michigan one and Ohio State two. And here's why. A lot of the same points that you guys made. Uh, very good rosters. Probably the, the top two rosters in the Big Ten. I... I have a, a lot of stock in Shea Patterson being a returning, talented quarterback. I think that this is going to be an offense that's going to fit him better than what he had before. Um, I The big question mark I have for them is at running back. If, if they can get that established, I think Zach Charbonnet, the freshman, is – if he can stay healthy, I know he was out for the spring getting his knee cleaned up, but if that, assuming that that is okay, he and Christian Turner and then True Wilson – uh, collectively will be good enough. I think that they've got Michigan as the best offensive line in the Big Ten. They've got one of the best group of receivers in the Big Ten. And the the X factor for me is the fact that they play in Ann Arbor, and this is the year for, for khaki pants. If he does not beat Ohio State, I think that he's going to punch his own ticket maybe to the NFL and say, well, I gave it a shot. Um, I don't like being second fiddle. And, and kind of without admitting defeat, he's going to kind of – bow out and, and maybe go to, to quote-unquote greener pastures. But I, I think Michigan loses in the whiteout game at Happy Valley, and I think that that loss midseason gives them that taste of uh, reality and, and motivation. So when they play what, what will I think will be an undefeated Ohio State team in Ann Arbor on that last weekend, I think that the Wolverines do get it done, and that's why I put them at number one. I mean, offense is going to be good. Under Don Brown, their defense will always be dynamite. And I agree with you, Greek. I, I I would not be shocked if Michigan State makes us all wrong and and wins the Big Ten East. I'm not calling it, but I wouldn't be surprised because – and thank God that you called him <laughs> by his right name. It, it, it irked me whenever people call him Mark D'Antonio. I want to throw something <laughs> through the wall. I mean – but anyway, that's we usually that's just my own the thing. snake oil but, salesman uh, on the guys on it, big podcast. It rolls off better, right? No, yeah, it does. It does. Well, and at yeah. least it's clever, you know. So, um, but yeah, uh, you know, Michigan State's a, a team to to kind of keep an eye out for. But top to bottom, I just think that Michigan and Ohio State have the two best rosters, like you guys talked about. And you know, even if Justin Fields goes down. Bip and I talked about that Gunnar Hoke, when he was at Kentucky during the spring, I actually liked him to upseat Terry Wilson eventually at quarterback there. So when he left and transferred to come here to Ohio State, if Fields has, you know, uh, an injury or if he has, God forbid, a, a bad game and Ryan Day says, okay, we got to go for a change of pace, I think Gunnar Hoke, an Ohio kid, um, in fact, I think he was maybe Mr. Ohio when he left, uh, is, is not a bad number two there. So I don't think that they have a huge drop off in terms of uh, a good quarterback at that spot. But um, yeah, I, I'm going to go Michigan one and Ohio State two. Bip, how about you? I'm going to go uh, Ohio State one, Michigan two. And I think that Michigan's one of the more overrated teams in the country, but I think that schedule sets up very nicely for them this year. They have their toughest games at home, but 
I, I have big question marks at the running back position. Zach Charbonnet is supposed to be very, very good, but they've said the same thing in the past about guys like Sam McGuffey and Derek Green, and it's hard to trust a true freshman running back to carry the load for a what's thought to be a potential top five team. Um, and I have questions along that defense in regards to replacing everything that they lost. Uh, but like I mentioned, I think that schedule is nicely for them. A uh, couple of games to keep an eye out for Penn State uh, on the road when that is their whiteout game. Maryland on the road after the week that they play Notre Dame and then that Indiana game on the road that sandwiched between Michigan State and Ohio State those three could be potential trip up games for the Wolverines but I think regardless they lose against Ohio State and finish second and uh, I'm with uh, I'm with you guys I think Ohio State's roster is just too talented Ryan Day's a uh, heck of a coach it, it seems like um, and I'm not going to bet against Ohio State uh, against Michigan in that last game of the season. And I tell you what, the, the X factor for me for Ohio State is getting Greg Madison to come over and be the co-defensive coordinator. And I really think that he'll be running the show on that defensive side. I mean, Jeff Halfley, I think, does a good job. But Madison was a home run hire for them, especially coming from Ann Arbor. I, I think that that's, this is going to be a much, much better Ohio State defense than what you guys talked about. I absolutely agree with that, that last bit there, uh, Chappie. I think simplifying the defense is going to – do wonders for them, and they do have a lot of talent and experience coming back. Yeah, it's nice to hear that uh, Ohio State finally has some depth. It's good that they finally turned the corner there. Yeah, I was, you know, I was, I was feeling really bad for him for a while there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's go to the West, um, which is a, a division that hits a lot more home for three of us anyway. So uh, we'll turn it back to you guys again. Jeffrey the Greek, why don't you give us who's one and two in the West? Uh, All right, I'm just going to uh, spin the wheel in my Big Ten West lottery thing. A lot of ball. Okay, we got Northwestern. Okay, we got Nebraska. Okay, how's that sound? Northwestern, I don't know. In in that no, order, I'd be completely glib. I, here? You can okay. you can go across the top six teams and depending on the day, talk yourself into a one, two, three finish Absolutely. out of any one of those six teams. I'm sorry to take uh not to give you a square answer, but the fact of the matter is I'm not there yet. And I can talk on each one of the teams, certainly. Um but to give you a one-two answer right now, it's, I mean, it's, it's a complete it's a complete guess. And by the way, because of that, this this is how how crazy it is for how these teams are shaping up this year. Even the national media is talking about the Big Ten West and how interesting a race it is. You know, something crazy is going on when yeah. you know ESPN and College Radio is talking about the Big Ten West for a division to keep its eyes on. Yeah, exactly. I no, I appreciate that that honesty. That uh, this was clearly the hardest one for me to to pick um, because there's there's five teams that I could legitimately see and probably in the West. Yeah, and all last year, two teams, five's closer for me too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, the only two teams who I would say I would not put money on would me be too. Purdue yeah. and Illinois, I and know. Even in saying even in saying that, um, Illinois has benefited the most from the transfer portal of any Big Ten team. We'll and get they've to gotten that. some talent now. <laughs> granted, they, 
Right, right. Yeah, we, I mean, there's the chemistry that goes along with that. But uh, I mean, even in saying that I wouldn't pick them to win it, if they ended up playing uh, for the title in the last two weeks of the season, I wouldn't be completely shocked. So what about you, Big Kurt? What, who do you see? Or are you going to go the Jeffrey the Greek? No, I, I'm not going to take the easy route out like the Greek did. Oh. Um, I haven't done my full <laughs> deep dive on all these teams, but I, I, I'm i going to give you two. First of all, when I look at the five that you're talking about that I agree with, there, I think there's five that could potentially win it. There's only one that stands a little bit ahead to me, and that's Iowa. And the reason they have a loaded roster and they have great coaching, and that's a good recipe for success. Um, I think yeah. there's going to be a little bit of a breakout on offense this year with Nate Stanley in his last year. I think I call them the the Smith brothers at wide receiver. I know they're not brothers, but I think they're, you're going to see a big step forward from them. Right. And, you know, the, it's just going to be your typical Iowa defense with another great defensive line, good linebacker play, excellent defensive back. So to me – it's Iowa. I really think they're, they're set up for success this year. Um, and the other one I'm going to say is Northwestern because college football's purpose is basically to torture me, Big Kurt. <laughs> um, so not only am I not allowed to have a good team to cheer for, but my team's rival is always going to be successful. That's, that's reason number one. But right. to go a little deeper there, not the greatest roster, but the reason I say that is I just have so much faith in Coach Fitz. He's, to me, the best coach in the Big yeah. Ten. And I think they're they're going to be possibly even better than last year with the addition of Hunter Johnson. From what I understand, Hunter, he's not your typical five-star flop. He's a guy that was doing very well at Clemson and just happened to go up against a generational quarterback in Trevor Lawrence so he couldn't see the field. Everything I've heard is that he was playing very well. You know, they were very happy with him as a quarterback. So I think he's going to step in and probably play even better than Clayton Thorson did. Now, what I cannot wait to see is I know they've had some some shakeups on the offensive line. Don't have the the greatest roster there. I'm looking at the miracle that Kurt Anderson is probably going to pull off this year with that offensive line. Every year, it seems, Northwestern starts off the year and their line looks awful. By the end of the year, they always look great. So I'm, I can't wait to watch that transformation happen. Yeah, that was that was a home run hire for the Wildcats. Was was promoting Anderson to offensive line coach. And uh, when when Coach Cushing got the job at Eastern Illinois, that was really a, a blessing in disguise because among Northwestern people, he was. Uh, highly ridiculed for for not being able to solidify a, a consistent offensive line. They have traditionally been good enough when they need to be, and, and case in point was last year. I mean, they just that offense looked awful yeah, absolutely. in non conference play, and then they got into Big Ten play after they almost and should have beat Michigan, and they they were good when they needed to be. And and I hate to say this, uh, Mr. Greek, but. They, the, the best example was against Iowa. Oh, they had no business uh, running against that defensive line, and they had no business holding their own against that defensive line, but they did, and that was really the biggest victory for the Wildcats last year was the offensive line uh, you know, holding their own against such a, a talent. Along with the play calling. Four. The play so, calling was um, certainly what, not, what the defense was not expecting that day. Nobody expected you guys to actually even true. try to run the ball. But the way you uh, schemed yeah. and gapped Iowa that day, it, it was a thing of beauty. 
Yep. So, um, yeah, I, I like those two picks. And, and again, that's uh, it, all, all five of those have equal weight. Uh, I'm going to go with, and you might want to mute me here for a minute, Greek. Uh, Nebraska is going to be my number one in the West. So hear me out on this. I think that this offense is going to score a lot of points and not apologize for it. I, I see Scott Frost and Troy Walters being uh, working in tandem to say, we're just going to try and break every Big Ten scoring record, and we're not going to have mercy on anybody. We've got Adrian Martinez, J.D. Spielman, Wandale Robinson, uh, Dedrick Mills, Maurice Washington, if he uh, or when he comes back from a, a pr- uh, proposed suspension. This is just going to be a, a, a unit that's going to light up the scoreboard, and they will, like they wanted to do last year, play in a position where defense doesn't have to be great. But I think the defense will be better. I think they're going to be more athletic. I think that, you know, looking at their roster and looking at their defensive setup for 2019, they're finally going to put guys uh, in a position where they can play where they need to play. This is an athletic group. Muhammad Barry is one of the more underrated linebackers in the conference. I think taking Jojo Doman from his strong safety position and putting him at outside linebacker, that's going to help. Lamar Jackson and DiCaprio Boodle are, are two of the best, or they make one of the best corner tandems in the West, certainly, maybe even in the Big Ten. Not the best, but one of the better ones. And I think the biggest thing that they have coming in to them for defense what is bringing in uh, Tony Tuioti, who is a defensive line coach at Cal, uh, all reports around Lincoln are that he is really doing a lot with that defensive line, which needed the most work uh, evidence from last year. So their schedule sets up nicely. They get Northwestern, Wisconsin, and Iowa all in Lincoln after hosting Ohio State in week five, which could be a potential trap game for the Buckeyes. I don't see it happening. I think that Ohio State wins that one. And then they draw Indiana and Maryland from the east as their crossover. So the schedule sets up nicely for Nebraska to probably be the team that ends up on top. Um, in the West there. And number two for me is going to be Wisconsin. And it's really because Paul Christ is a winner. It's Wisconsin. Like you talked about, Kurt, they just seem to reload their roster, even though it's not necessarily one of the top in recruiting circles, they get the most out of who they bring in and, and they, they get Wisconsin guys, you know, so injuries in Hornibrook hurt them last year. Jonathan Taylor is a beast. The offensive line is going to be rebuilt. I think the wide receivers are going to be a lot better than people think uh, or how they look on paper. Defense is going to be tough in the front seven, and the secondary is actually the most experienced group on that defense. And overall, they're coached by Jim Jim Leonard, who is, in my opinion, one of the more underrated defensive coordinators in the country. Um, Wisconsin gets Northwestern and Iowa and Madison. So if they beat those two, even if they lose to Minnesota, I think that they're going to own the tiebreaker for a lot of five and four Big Ten West teams in conference and, and finish number two. Bip, how do you see the West shaking out? Well, I hate that I seemingly pick the two trendy picks in this division, but I'm going to go Nebraska one, way, Minnesota that's, two. That's five uh, teams. I like the rosters on between board. between the four of us. Yeah, we got them all. We got them all. In. There you <laughs> yeah, go. Yeah, exactly. So that so that roulette wheel is is exactly right. Um, I I do like that offense of Nebraska um a lot, and and I think year two under Scott uh, Scott Frost could be. Uh, a definite bounce back for them. They had a ton of close losses last year. I think that that uh, plays into uh, a big season for them this year. And then Minnesota, I just like all of the talent that they have returning. They were extremely young last year. I love the receivers, love the running game. And if they can get 
uh, solidified play out of their quarterback, uh, whoever that may be, whether it's Morgan or Anikstad. Uh, I think that they uh, show marked improvement on the offense. Defensively, I have a couple questions, but they do have playmakers in each level, and that schedule sets up for them perfectly as they, they're at Purdue, but that's after a bye, and then they get Nebraska, uh, Penn State, Wisconsin all at home. They do have Iowa, Nebraska, or I'm sorry, Iowa Northwestern, both on the road back to back. That could be a stumbling block for them, but I see them as coming out uh, on top in part because of that schedule, but a lot because of everything they have coming back. Yeah, I Minnesota. Well, I'll I'll talk more about them in a minute. Um, I, <laughs> I I have some reservations about that, but yeah, to to one of you guys' point, whoever made it. Um, the four of us did not unleash these lists before we, we got on air. So this is a, an organic and natural, Hey, this is, uh, you know, proof in the pudding that the big 10 West is just that wide open. I mean, we, we all had, you know, that much of a variety in our picks. So let's look at teams that are maybe getting a little bit overhyped. So Bip, I know you talked about Michigan being one of the most overrated teams in the country. Um, do you want to expand on that, or who do you see as uh, maybe a team or two that are, are getting too much love in in preseason uh, publications? Well, I, I in I'm I'm a little hesitant to do this, but I'm gonna I'm gonna shift gears a little bit, and I'm gonna switch over, and I'm gonna go with the Iowa Hawkeyes. Unfortunately, I see them as consistently getting top twenty five press and being picked uh, as high as number two in the West. I, I don't think that they're going to reach those heights this year, mainly because of what they've lost on offense. Obviously, the two tight ends, but also their top receiver. Um, they lose a lot in their uh, front four, uh, although they do return A.J. Epinesa, which is um, you know huge for any team. Uh, but also losing their top four tacklers. Also, Anthony Nelson, uh, one of their top sack guys, three offensive linemen. I know that... Uh, Kirk Ferentz is going to have them ready to go as he does every year. And they also uh, reload at tight end and at offensive line seemingly every single year. But I I just don't like how that schedule sets up. They're at Iowa State, obviously non-conference, but still plays into if they were to lose that game, that sets up to um, a downer of uh, as they get into Big Ten play. But then they're at Michigan, at Northwestern, at Wisconsin, at Nebraska. Um, They were 91st in yards per play last year. At uh, 5.4, I just think that they moved the ball um, at, at, a sl- at a slow pace last year in regards to yards per game, but they scored, I think, in the 40s, uh, 40th rank in regards to points per game. I think it's tough for them to repeat that, and I think their offense could put up even fewer yards this year. Um, so mainly because of that offense, I, I think that it's going to be a struggle for them to get more than five wins in the Big Ten this year. So I put them more around the four or five in the West, um, which is a little lower than uh, what some are projecting at maybe second or even first if they have a couple of things swing their way. And they didn't play a spring game. so that We're working on the field, Chappie. <laughs> <laughs> so I know, I know. I had I'd to throw it like in. like to chime in because um, uh, that kind of uh, – Pretty much what you said on the podcast, you know, a month or six weeks ago or so. And this is where the paralysis by analysis comes in to me. And, and, and and I'd like to point out, I feel like this can be applied. I'm going to use Iowa here because obviously Iowa is the team that gets me charged up. You know, that's where the love of college football comes from. 
I feel like you can mm-hmm. pretty much apply this to sure. darn near any fan base. We always feel slighted at some point when you hear kind of the same stuff over and over again. You want to scream like yep. facts back to people. Because uh, one thing that you guys hit on, you know, again, a couple podcasts ago again here is, you know, no way that Iowa can keep the defense going or the turnover ratio going. So I, I looked into this. Uh, 2018, as far as turnover margin in the Big Ten, Iowa was first, 11th in the NCAA. 2017, Iowa was second in the Big Ten, 26th in the NCAA. 2016, Iowa was huge dip all the way down to fourth for turnover margin in the Big Ten. <laughs> 31st in the NCAA, 2015, back to first turnover margin in the Big Ten and eighth in the NCAA. That isn't a luck thing that bounces one way or one. That's coaching to make sure you do not turn the ball over more than your opponents, which anybody with a brain knows will lead to wins. And I would think one person I wouldn't have to talk that into is Chappie, who is a Northwestern fan, (laughs) seeing as how that is exactly what Fitzgerald puts his whole coaching philosophy on, that you are coaching both sides of the ball and special teams. We had a uh, the almighty yards per play stat going around Twitter just today where I backed up Northwestern on Twitter because how is it that Northwestern could possibly win the West? I mean, they only had – 4.74 yards per play, right? I mean, Wisconsin had 6.3 yards per play. Purdue had 6.1. Nebraska had 6.0 yards per play. And Iowa had 5.2. How is it even possible? I mean, why did Fitzgerald even keep playing football after September (laughs) with such a horrible yards per play, gentlemen? Oh, wait, they beat every one of those teams yep. no. that I just named in the yards per play. Why? Back to what I just said a minute ago, because they don't turn the ball over. They don't just play offense. They play defense. They play field position. They play clean, and they play special teams. Stats lie, okay? That's the whole point I'm trying to make. You can't only look at stats. You've got to look at things that have just been born again and born again with certain programs that those are the things that it just amazes me that people gloss over whenever they just decide to gloss over them. Right. And, and I, and I get that. I just see that um, they had such a disparity between yards per game and points per game last year. They lose their top two receiving threats. I'm not convinced that they have a great running game coming into the season. Right. Uh, and Nathan Stanley is one of the better quarterbacks in the big 10, But, I mean, it's not a great group of quarterbacks in the Big Ten this year going into the season with all the uncertainty and all the new quarterbacks coming in. So I just see it. It's going to be a struggle for them to um, put up as many yards as what they did last year. And last year they already had uh, a, a... a conversion rate of yards to points that's that's unsustainable and, and i'll i'll liken it kind of like to, to poker in that you can have a two percent um percentage of odds going into the last card that's thrown that doesn't mean you're out of it it just means i'd feel much better if i'm more around the 70 80 percent than the five to ten percent which is what happens if you're if you're focusing on the turnover or things that could go your way if you're if you're coached that way for sure. But then there's a lot of unlucky break 
unlucky breaks uh, in which turnovers or penalties could swing the game the other way if you don't put and up using as many yards as, as an uh, example opponents. how many times and, are you watching one of those poker games on tv and you see that the guy has the 95 percent chance to win the pot and he folds why does he fold because he doesn't have all the information and somebody on the other side of the table is better at poker than he is so thank you for using poker i could turn that right back around and use it my argument once again because there are more things going on than the percentages that's on the sure. guy's hand it's that the the way the guy played the the hand itself the the type of poker player that guy is knowing that he can bully that person around even maybe when he shouldn't be doing it and it's successful i mean in the end i i totally understand you know iowa fans themselves uh, very very much uh, uh, want to see more more explosive plays. The, the Iowa coaches have talked about more explosive plays. But in the end, Iowa finished fourth in the Big Ten in scoring. They even finished higher in scoring than the mighty Scott Frost Nebraska Cornhuskers last year. Points per game. <laughs> isn't that why we're doing this? Is, is, isn't that like, I, am I lost here? Or aren't we trying to put more points on the board? And then the other thing I always want to point out, that just and this is for this is open to the discussion for everybody. Whenever you hear the yards per play, or pretty much dang near every stat, why is it only focused around offense? Do you ever hear the yards or uh, or points? Excuse me, points per play, yards per play wrapped around the defense? Well, you know where you would hear that on the Eyes on Big podcast. <laughs> what, what 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 is the, what is the deal here? What what that I understand true. that there there's a shift. There's been a shift where certainly offense is more focused. Um, I, I would look at Alabama, even Saban broke out of his, I don't know if stodgy is the right word, you know, and opened it up and stuff like that. But but the pendulum hasn't swung all the way. Mm-hmm. Point being, if you don't roll a defense out there that can get stops, you're going to lose games. And I would use Oklahoma as an example, and there's tons of other teams oh, yeah. I could point to. To go back to, and I don't mean to – to do this, but, you know, going back to, to Nebraska, where is it in Scott Frost's tenure that you can point to, whether his time is at Oregon or UCF, where they have played fantastic or even middle-of-the-pack defense? Their, their biggest thing they can hang their hat on is turnovers. It, isn't that what you guys use yourself that can't be something that you can use year to year is turnovers? And, and point taken that defense obviously is one of the two uh, things with with offense that, you know, you take into account. But when you play the way that Iowa does, you have a much smaller margin of error. So if their defense is sleeping on any given Saturday, then that offense is not set up for them to make up for any errors that could happen. If there is a bad turnover, a bad penalty um, or something that doesn't swing in their favor, I don't see their offense as being high powered enough or efficient enough to but, make up for any potential errors that may. But doesn't that them, same um, rationale um, also keep opponent. them in every single game and makes them very tough to beat? Away. And I don't see them being blown out by any means. Yeah. I just don't see them coming out on top more, more, more than eight games this year. And, I, th- I think eight games is their limit. And to your point, uh, Bip, you know, uh, the the original point was that. Uh, for them to be pegged so high is is where you have questions. And and Greek, right. those are great numbers about the turnovers. And uh, I was not aware that they were 
that high in the top five. But if you look at their results the last three years, nine and four, eight and five, eight and five, going back to 2016, not any higher than the third in the Big Ten. 2016, can we go back one more year, please? I respect. Oh yeah, no, no, no. Well, I, yeah, obviously, 2015 was 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 the the peak there, sure. Um, so I'm going to give you that, and that was a great year. But he's won ten games or more five times now. It's not like you know what I mean. Like it's not like he just turned to coach football here. And it, it, right. Well, and I, but in, in, I don't, but I don't think the there's 14... anybody. In, I don't think there's anybody. Oh, this, I don't think there's anybody in this circle of of the four no. of us and that I don't would that. sit here and say that Kirk Ferentz is not a great coach, that Phil Parker is not a great defensive coordinator. Um, you know, I mean, that's 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 a given. But I think you know, going back to the original point, it's just that um, I would agree that Iowa has as good a chance as any of these other five teams. But for them to be a lock at, uh, you know number one in the, in the West, hands down. And I, I don't know that, that I could. I haven't uh, said that myself. That I mean, I didn't even um, pick a team, um, but I, the- no. And I, right. Sure. And I just wanted to point out also that in the last 14 seasons, I was had six times in which they won six or fewer games. So it is possible for them to stumble at some point. And I think this might be one of those times because of what they lose offensively. And then the losses that they have in the front, so front four on, on I know you guys. I don't know. Okay. Um, no. <laughs> Well, let's, let's get to you. I already like, who's, touched who's, on it with Nebraska. I mean, with team. with uh, Nebraska, um, I, I certainly see all of the things you're seeing. But what what I whenever I hear a national prognosticator get get uh, interviewed and they talk about the Big Ten, it's the same thing. They talk about Ohio State and Michigan for 12 minutes of the 15 minute segment, and then they bring up Nebraska. And the only thing this person says is, "Well, Adrian Martinez." is a great quarterback and Scott Frost. Wow. He did wonders in his second year at UCF. So that's what I see him doing in the second year in the big 10 West. Okay. Back to you, Steve. And and that's it. That, that is what I hear. Another thing too, is yeah. we've pointed out Iowa and some other teams that lost playmakers off their offense. Iowa lost uh, two tight ends, which, you know, typically only one was on the field at the same time, good or bad that Iowa did that, but it's the truth. And then they're, they're leading receiver and easily. How come those same things don't apply to them losing their starting wide receiver and then also their best running back? And they are very uh, thin at running back as well. How come it doesn't apply? Yeah. Well, I – I I would disagree that they're thin I, running back. I, I if they agree get with Maurice that. Washington, I, I do not I agree with that. that. They've got a transfer that's come in that Dedrick Mills that we've we haven't even we okay. haven't seen. I, we've seen him at the D one level, but does he fit in with well, the he's, offense? He's coming and, from a different offense, totally. So you don't know how yeah. how he's going to fit in. And then we're banking on Mister Arrest has moved right. fourteen times right. in his background, and then still smoke some weed on campus, Washington. Like that's that's who we're, we're putting all our eggs in the basket for running back. And then also you said Iowa lost, I think it was four of the top five tacklers. Nebraska lost five of their last of their top six tacklers from last year. Another thing that I've heard too is Nebraska closed yeah. out the year strong, right? And, and they had all these close losses, okay? So they, they lost to Colorado by five. They lost to Troy by five. They lost to Michigan by 46. Oops, sorry. I don't know how that one got in there. Excuse me. 
They lost to Northwestern by three and Ohio State by five <laughs> and Iowa by three. Okay, those all are close losses. How about Iowa? They lost to Penn State by six. They lost to Purdue by two. They lost to Northwestern by four. They lost to Wisconsin by 11, but everybody knows the last touchdown was meaningless. That was a field goal game right up to that point. Why is it that that closed out the year strong and had a lot of close losses applies to Nebraska, but does not apply to Iowa when Iowa had close losses, four of them, and they actually closed out the year strong by beating Nebraska and Mississippi State in the bowl game. Again, I'm trying to apply why is it that logic works for one team and doesn't work for another. It sure seems like people just pick and choose those type of talking points that they want to use to basically, I would say, push an agenda or, I don't know, get themselves talking about something that they're more comfortable talking about. Not saying that's you guys. I'm just saying it's, it's something I've heard a lot of. Sure. And I would, I think the difference between the two teams is kind of like when you're talking about NFL draft prospects or high school recruits. Nebraska's got the higher ceiling. Iowa's got the higher floor. But when you're taking that into consideration and picking the wide open Big Ten West, I feel a little better picking Nebraska because I think that that could happen. And I think that they could break through to where they do win because uh, the Big Ten West, whereas I think Iowa They'll be in a lot of their games, and I think they could finish as high as three, maybe two, if things break their way. I just don't see them as being as high a ceiling team to go through and be uh, first in the West like I think Nebraska could. I'll tell you this. I think that Iowa would definitely earn the Big Ten West a lot more than Nebraska would. Nebraska, I think, has the easiest path right. there. Yeah. I mean, there's no denying the schedule. Right. One. schedule uh, yeah, so schedule. Um, right. Right. So I I mean, if, if you stack up these two teams, Iowa, I think the, the needle tips in Iowa's favor more than it tips in Nebraska. But I think it comes down to timing. I think it, you know, and, and schedules a part of that. And, um, you know, I, I agree with you, Greek, that there, there, I haven't heard really a lot of good insight as to why nebraska is such a clear cut other than i mean that's that's a reality of that's correct and and by the way i mean of course decreed by big 10 law we now have to say we do both think scott frost is was a great hire he's a great coach he's obviously got him turning in the right direction is it okay if i just wait and see if they can actually beat iowa wisconsin and northwestern you know before we start picking up to to win (laughs) Right. I mean, how, as a no, Northwestern how fan, Chappie, how, how does it make you feel every now. time you open up a magazine? You see Scott Frost on the cover with that white shirt on, standing in front of the tunnel, walking out, and they 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 got Nebraska on the cover when they're talking about the Big Ten West. I mean, you want to be in the chat? Honestly, <laughs> honestly, I love it because Northwestern, we 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 want to be the underdogs. We don't want the spotlight. Keep us uh, in, keep us in the yeah. back seat. You know, so. <laughs> But so yeah, that's, Eddie, I'm, that's not I really can't remember so if I asked her or not, but it's just uh, I, I I honestly do understand where a ton of people are coming with Nebraska. Don't get me wrong. Like there's 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 reason to be optimistic if you're a Nebraska right. fan. Schedule is huge. Um, I just feel like if you start going through and nitpicking all the top five big ten West teams. I feel like there's a ton of reasons to bring everybody back to the mean. Yeah. And I'm just surprised to see that anybody is that 
you know, uh, confident in any pick in the, in that division right now. I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, there's been a a marked change sure. on oh, yeah. Twitter no. in the last few days with Nebraska fans. They are even pumping the brakes. And they saying, are. Wait no, a that's second. no doubt. Uh, everyone's just awarding us the Big Ten West. 100%. Uh, we do expect to be better, but we don't think this thing's in the bag at all. Yeah, and, and I, I think what's been interesting, we'll probably talk more about this when we do our team breakdowns. Nebraska fans were chippier last year going into Frost first year. I mean, I'm convinced that they thought it was going to be a complete overhaul 11-1 team. They saw that there was a lot of work to be done, and even Frost, I think, maybe they even learned that he wasn't a messiah sent from the college football gods. A like demigod. He, right, the demigod. That And yes, I totally agree. It, to me, it hasn't just been the last week or two. It's been the last month yeah. when all of these uh, prognostications sure. have come out put in Nebraska. They, I would say 80% of their fan base is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Pump, pump, let's, let's slow We're down. We're all excited here. But, but yeah, let, we, got, we got things to fix. Right. What about you, Big Kurt? Who do you see as so a I got team two, and it, this may have more to do with just being in the West and all these teams packed together. Nebraska, to me, is the low-hanging fruit here. Their defense has a lot to prove. Uh, I do. The one thing I do really like about them is Adrian Martinez. I think by the end of this year, we may be considering him the best quarterback in the Big Ten, but he can't get hurt because they don't have much behind him. This, to me, just doesn't look like a championship roster yet. I think yeah. they're at least a year away, and I feel the same about Minnesota. Now, Minnesota, well, let's go back to Nebraska. They're like the the sexy national pick to win the West, right? All the national outlets kind of want – it just it seems like they want Nebraska to win it, so they're picking Nebraska. Minnesota's like the sexy sleeper pick in the West. Everyone's saying, all oh, these guys are, are set up for big things. I think they are, but not this year. I think they're set up for big things next year. Um, great at the skill positions, but I'm not convinced about either line just yet. I think their offensive line needs to improve um, pass blocking. Not in love with the defensive line yet. So as Greek pointed out earlier, he thinks inside out. I do that, that same thing. I don't love what they're doing on the lines just yet, but maybe next year. Yeah. Yeah, I, I that's the big concern that I had for Minnesota too is – um, yeah, that, especially that defensive line, I, I think they're athletic, but you know, I, I haven't heard definitively whether they're going to put Carter Coughlin at defensive end, or if they're going to play him at outside linebacker, or if he's going to be that hybrid either way, I don't think it really makes much of a difference when you get down to the, to the grunt of things, they just don't have a top five defensive line. And, and that's, I think going to be their undoing in terms of, and what, one, that, of my, uh, one of my favorite Twitter follows is a Nebraska fan. Um, Actually, um, I don't know his full handle. It's Bug Eater something. And he, he put a great tweet out that basically said it, he listed off mm-hmm. all of the Big Ten West teams and said all of these teams are excited for the season. And six weeks into the season, half of them are going to be absolutely disgusted and sick with themselves. That's right. <laughs> How it's going. I mean, Northwestern just won the division. Yet, oh yeah, they have apparently everything to reprove again to the you know, but but obviously they're the defending champs. Wisconsin fans, you know, it's a fluke last year, right? It was because of weird stuff going behind the scenes with their quarterback. Get things fixed, they're good to go. Purdue fans believe Brome is is a demigod. 
Uh, Iowa fans believe they've got the talent this year. Um, Nebraska fans believe in the hashtag frost effect that they got going on. Minnesota is growing under Fleck and feel like that he's the man. And Illinois has an amazing rushing offense that does not get (laughs) talked about. Point being is like each one of these fan bases has something to talk about on the positive and they're not tinfoil hat wearing comments. There's, <laughs> there's real reasons for every one of these teams yeah. to feel good going into the season, right. but there are still going to be three teams that finish yeah. last second to last and third to last in this division, whether we're ready for it or not. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm going to go with a team from the East, actually, and I'm really surprised at how much love this team has gotten. That's the Maryland Terrapins. So, first of all, they play in the East, which means even if they beat two of the big four, the best that they're likely to finish is third. And then, it, and even then, it won't be Maryland had a good year. It's that Penn State had a bad year or Michigan State had a bad year or Michigan had a bad year if that's one of the teams that Maryland happens to beat, which I'm not calling for, by the way. Um I, I'm not sold on Mike Loxley as a head coach, and here's why. As a head coach, he's 3-31. and 3-31. and 31. Now, I know he was coaching the leftovers at Maryland only to go 1-5 in 2015, but then he went just 2-26 and 26 at New Mexico. That's a .071 winning percentage. That is the worst winning percentage in school history, and that's not a, a record you want to have at a school like New Mexico. Um he, and there was also some off-the-field issues, too, which I'm not going to get into because I'm not trying to beat the guy down. I see him as a good recruiter and as a good play caller. And, Kurt, you know uh, a lot more about that than I do. Um, and if that's all he's focusing on, then cool. But as the man in charge, I'm not sure that I see it. Uh, plus, there's been some off-the-field issues with his son, Kai Loxley. So I wonder what effect that might have this year on, on Loxley uh, doing his first job back in Maryland. They do return a good amount on offense, but their run offense was, I think, a product of Matt Canada and not necessarily going to be the same thing under Mike Loxley. I think Loxley has a more quarterback-centric type offense. And, you know, they brought in Josh Jackson, who on paper looks good, and he looked good at Virginia Tech, uh, but he had some injury issues last year. Uh, they they brought in a lot of new guys from the transfer portal and with recruits that are likely going to get early playing time. So you wonder about the chemistry that they're going to have. Um, I, I think that the offense is going to do well, but my question is on the defense. Only 55% of the production, production returns. Uh, they were good in the turnover margin, but as my pal Bip likes to say, that could regress back to the mean. Um, Thank you. They were, uh, they were 117th in red zone defense last year, 113th in sacks. They were in the bottom third in the country in rush defense and scoring defense. So these are not good numbers from the side of the ball that we just pointed out you, you need to have, especially in a conference like the Big Ten. If you're going to compete, usually it's that you start with a good defense. And if your offense can score, that's just uh, icing on the cake. Um, they were also the second most penalized team in the country last year. And I know that it's not Loxley's fault. But he's inheriting a team that needs a lot of discipline. And when you've got a lot of these moving parts coming in, that just doesn't seem to, to jive with, you know, being a much more disciplined team unless that's your sole focus in the offseason. But then, you know, what gets left behind? So I'm just not sold on Maryland being this team that could surprise. I think ESPN writers talked about it. 
Um, other publications have said, you know, look out for Maryland. And it's really just because of the fact that, oh, Mike Loxley's there and he can recruit and he can pull a lot of talent out of the D.C. area. But um, in terms of 2019, I just don't see that happening. I don't see them uh, making it to a bowl, guys. And Josh Jackson's better than what they had last year, but who isn't? Yeah. But uh, Jackson got beat out by Ryan Willis, who's good, not great. And this team strikes me as maybe being the Florida State of the North this year. Tons of talent, but maybe a lot of pieces that don't fit together. And one of those teams that if they get down early in the game, do you see a lot of the players quitting on the sideline yeah, and just being a uh, just a, a kind of a dumpster about. fire in, in fact, year one? I of saw the their over yeah. under for wins today. I can't remember what what outlet it was, but three and a half is their win. Yeah, total. I'm. I'm to me, I'm bullish on them going over three and a half. I mean, but Big Kurt and I are both looking at each other right here, and we're like. I mean, we're on Twitter, I would think, about as much as you guys read through stuff as much as anybody. I, I don't know. I am not seeing all of this love for Maryland that no. you're seeing. I, I, I guess I'm surprised to hear a lot of this. Well, and it's it's tapered off a little bit lately, but it was more so, you know, when a lot of those publications or a lot of those uh, media outlets came out and said um, – you know, who's going to be hot in 2019 and uh, who are your sleeper picks? Uh, and I guess it would have been better for the podcast had I written down some of the sources. But uh, Maryland was one of those teams that jumped out and it was primarily because of Loxley and because of, um, you know, getting guys like Nick Cross to flip from Florida State. And um, uh, I'm trying to think of the quarterback's name, Legendra, I think, who also flipped from Florida State. So that was swaying a lot of, um, you know, quote unquote journalists to say, Hey, this is, this is who you should look out for in the East. And, and I'm just not, I'm not seeing it now. I would agree that I, I would take the over on three and a half, but, um, if that was, if that over under was set at four, I would stay away from that. Cause I certainly don't yeah. have any confidence yeah. that they're yeah. better than a four I, I, this year. I'm interested to see where they go simply because of the um, recruiting that Loxley brings to the table. I mean, it's established, but obviously it's a lot harder to recruit to Maryland than it yeah. is to Alabama, but heck, he even recruited pretty good to Illinois as oh, well yeah, when absolutely. he was there. So that, but I've heard most of that applied to the future after he's had yeah. a season two, maybe three, yeah. to actually get that recruit the, the talent in. I have them as one of my undervalued teams, but I, I'm setting yeah. that value based at three yeah. and a half. So yeah. I, I like them because they're just, they have too much talent for three and a half wins. The, the, let's remind everyone, this is not a true rebuild. Um, you know, this is a different situation. It's not like uh, Durkin got fired for a poor performance. He no. was, you know, he's, he's, he was bringing in talent. Their biggest hole last year was quarterback to me. And I feel like Josh Jackson is a huge leap over what they had last year. So I love the over on that three and a half. And for that reason, they were one of my undervalued teams. Okay. Um Bip, did you did you get to touch on your uh, overvalued teams? Uh, I know you touched on Maryland a little bit, but was there a team that you wanted to go with aside from any of the ones that we talked about? Uh, no, overvalued. I kind of went into to Iowa and Maryland, so I think I'm all set on That's that. That's right. Okay. Yep. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, well, let's go. Uh, Kurt, <laughs> I, you started to talk uh, about it up earlier. You stole my thunder uh, a little bit. Michigan State is, is my other team on my undervalued list. Out for you. I realize how putrid they were on offense but I think a big part of that was Lewerke being injured all year the, the to me this is the best defense in the Big Ten maybe the best defense in the country 
Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Chappie, you're the encyclopedia, but I'm pretty sure they bring back all of their front seven from last year that only gave up 77 yards a game rushing. And then the thing that yep, I don't they, like they really, roster, the biggest hole uh, to me is running back, but it sounds like show, they really uh, love this Anthony yeah, Williams kid, the freshman it. out of Bolingbroke in Illinois. Yeah. Yeah, he – Yep, he's uh, he's slated to start over Connor Haywood and over uh, Ladarius Jefferson, who seems to have been buried on that depth chart. He was the guy that I looked at as being the best back that they had last year in terms of um, what he could do. His numbers didn't really back that up, um, and I think that was a byproduct of a, a shaky offensive line. But, yeah, everyone on the offensive yeah. line comes back. The only thing I don't Anthony like about Williams Michigan State is how they shook the up most that buzz coaching any staff. That's out of just Lansing strange to me. I don't understand why you take someone who's – who's good at, at job a and say, we're going to have you stop doing <laughs> yeah. that one and do a job that you're not used to doing. Let's take the chairs on the East side of the Titanic yes. and move them to the West and the West. Right. Now, yeah. Okay. Now it looks good. That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I know. And, and Bip and I talked about that on a couple podcasts. Actually, I'm pretty high on the Spartans, but the big reservation that Bip has, and I'm not trying to speak for you, Bip, so jump in if you need to, but um, is just that, um, yeah, it's things were were less than great last year on the offensive side, and I'm being clearly generous. So why why keep with those guys and 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 just you know mix it up and, and ho- basically hope that you're uh, it's like taking a poker hand and it's, it's garbage and you're just putting them in a different order and hoping that that's going to look better when you lay it on the table, but you're still going to lose your chips. So, yeah. Yeah. If, if I'm ugly and I very, very, very well may if be, you're ugly. and I move my, and if I shuffle around my eyes with my nose and my chin and my ears, it doesn't make me any better looking. It makes me the same type with the same makeup. <laughs> uh well, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay in the East and say that my undervalued team is gonna be Indiana, and um, you know this is a team to to kind of look out for. They return 78 percent of their offensive production. Their quarterback's gonna be talented, whether it's Peyton Ramsey and he keeps control of his job, or whether Michael Penix supplants him. And it sounds like that's what it's gonna end up being. Um, you know, with his alleged superior talent, with his arm and his his athleticism. The running back room is deeper than people think with Stevie Scott, incoming freshman Samson James, who decommitted from Ohio State, and then all-around athlete Reese Taylor, who I love to watch. The wide receivers are experienced, and they also bring in Caleb DeBoer, not Mike DeBoer, thank God, um, coming over from Fresno State to run that offense. They were 37th in third down conversions, 33rd in turnover margin, and had the 36th fewest tackles for loss allowed last year. And like I said, a lot of that offense comes back. Defensively, they returned 77% of that defensive production. Now, it wasn't a great defense, but head coach Tom Allen specializes in defense and um, kind of promoted his linebackers coach to be the D coordinator so that Allen could focus more so on, on being the head coach and not necessarily somebody who's in terms of defensive quality. Um they get Bo Robbins and Cameron Williams coming in as freshmen this year, added to that roster. The schedule sets up nicely. They get both Ohio State and Michigan at home. The Buckeyes, they get early in the season. Michigan, they get late in the season. And it wouldn't surprise me to see one of those two teams knocked off by the Hoosiers. And I'm not going to call for it, 
but if Indiana wins eight, nine games this year and kind of looks like what Kentucky did in the SEC last year, I certainly wouldn't bat an eyelash, and I wouldn't say that it shocked me, guys. So this is a team that I kind of am keeping a, an eye peering out for to maybe as crack as, that top four in the sorry, East. As far as if, if value for me, if you're looking at it from how I it's like covered nationally, everybody in the West is undervalued except for Nebraska. Everybody in the East is undervalued except for Ohio State, Michigan, and Rutgers. Because Rutgers is exactly what they get. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, that's when I say that. That's how I feel about the entire right. conference. <laughs> right. <laughs> sure. No, that's that, that's that's a good point. Biff, what were you going to say about uh, Indiana? Any any other thoughts? I was going to say, I, I kind of agree with you. I'm not sure if they're going to win eight or nine games, but I do think that uh, Ohio State and Michigan could be on upset alert uh, based on when they play them and, and who plays uh, their opponents around those games. Everything they have coming back, especially that backfield that you mentioned, um, and, and I think that that offense is going to be much more productive with the new OC coming in. Um, so I like them. And then also Michigan state, uh, if they can, if, if Brian Lewerke's arm doesn't fall off again this year, I think that they, they'll, I, I'm and not going to pick against Michigan state. I, very I don't often think any of us have any get some semblance of offense Lombardi. coming in this year. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like, <laughs> no, well, and did you guys see the tweet that somebody put out that, uh, some, did you guys see that uh, some some Michigan State person, I don't even know who it Dear was, Lord. was trying to push Lombardi yeah. for uh, a dark horse Heisman candidate? Who, his mom? <laughs> yeah. I, I, don't, I don't even think Michigan Lombardi the question to you guys uh, would be Real quick, that, everybody. So, um, okay. Uh, well, let's... Uh, one to, uh, scale one to ten. Ten sure. being it's a definite. One being ain't no way it's going to happen. How do we all feel about the Big Ten getting a team into the college football playoff? I don't feel really high on that. I've, I'm at like a three or four right now. I would say three. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, I would say a two or a three just because I, I, I don't know yeah. if Ohio um, state's going to go undefeated. If they don't go I undefeated, don't think they're not getting in the, here. the playoff. Uh, I'm, I'm like, I'll probably a little bit higher. I'm like a five. I would say uh, that's, I mean, that's 50, 50 chance, I guess, but um um, it's not because it's a bad conference, right? It's because it's not made up how the snooty committee wants it no, to be made right. up, which is heavy at the top, a few decent teams in the middle, and but for the most part, crap from team middle to, to bottom. The Big Ten is strong, personally, I think, one through 13. I know Illinois, and I'm including Illinois in there. If you don't, if you have a bad day versus Illinois, you know, rushing attack, they'll sting you. Um, and, and that's the tough part is, is the top two teams or right. what most people are viewing as the top two teams, Michigan, Ohio state got question marks Urban Meyer is gone. It's left a big void in the entire conference. Michigan's got its own, you know, kind of changeups going with the, with the offensive coordinator, what we talked about. And that's, that's the, I guess, issue, but I would hope that when people look at the conference, they don't just look at the top two teams. They look at the depth of the conference. Cause to me, that's what's going to make it tough for any team to come out of the Big Ten conferences. It's pretty much going to have to be a team that's going to have to come out of the conference with either zero losses or one losses, and I think it's going to be tough to happen. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I see it as it's going to be two SEC teams. I think that's a given. It's going to be Clemson, and it's going to be it's going to be Oklahoma because they're sexy on offense. I think that's what it comes down to. The Big Twelve is nowhere near the Big Ten in terms of depth of of talent, but I think a one loss Michigan or Ohio State team or a one loss Iowa team. I'll throw you a bone there, Greek. Um, is not going to look anywhere on the same level of sexiness as you're, a one loss Ohio State team or TCU, wouldn't get a look. Uh, whenever, whenever that may come, I think they'd get a look, but I don't think they'd get the the final say. I think that the committee loves Oklahoma. They're going to love the Jalen Hurts story trying to go against Alabama. I think they 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 love Lincoln Riley. They love everything that Oklahoma is. I just uh, I agree with you guys that the Big Ten, for whatever reason, has put a bug up the butt of the committee, um, and unless they're undefeated, they're going to look at whatever that loss is um, from a one-loss Big Ten team and stack it up against Oklahoma, and they're going to say, okay, number one, Oklahoma is going to get us better ratings, and number two, uh, we just think that Oklahoma is just a sexier look than a Big Ten team. And I think what hurts the Big Ten also is that the West is going to be so wide open to where you could have a, another three-loss uh, or two-loss um, champion out of the West. And if Ohio State does beat them, does that look better than um, Oklahoma beating a one-loss Texas team or Georgia losing and that having me be their, their one-loss uh, against Alabama or something along those lines? And granted, I'm not arguing that that's the way it should be. I just think that that's the reality. Um you know, I, I I would love to see the Big Ten in it, but I just uh, I, I don't see the committee based on what they showed us last year. And, I don't and see that the next question would be, do you even care? I don't even know if I care how 2019 is going to look as we sit the, right I'm now. so tired of the football playoff. I, I'm, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. I don't care anymore. I'll, I'll make money. Leak yeah. I'm, I'm not a fan of have been, and I just no. I have very little interest no. in it. I I, I – I, I'm a six guy. It needs, well. it I mean, I, to to I would, I would like to go back to Bulls and Bulls to be completely honest yeah. with you. But if I had a choice, so. yeah. But if I had a choice, I would say six. I'm a big fan of zero teams in the yep. playoff. Oh, me yep. too. Me too. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's uh, let's round out the cast here by uh, each of us giving just a, a brief synopsis on our team that we are a little bit more knowledgeable All on. Right, well, the good news is so they finally we'll got experience. Tell us about the Illini had in the last couple of years. Actually, got a lot of upperclassmen. Most of them are juniors, but something that's maybe hard to believe. But looking at Champagne, oh, they actually have an experienced team this year. I'm going to throw a stand out there, and I want I want to ask all three of you. Would you have guessed this? This year, on the field, they will have eight former top 200 players that were not on the field last year. Wow. Does anybody realize? Did anybody realize that? I did not. Um, and nine, if you include Luke Ford, which the NCAA no. is not wow. including him. Okay, but it would have been nine nine former top 200 players. Now, the bad news is a lot of these guys are transfers. Uh-huh. And, you know, they didn't work out the, their first stop. So are they really top 200 players anymore? No. Yeah. But some of them haven't got, got a whole lot of chance to prove it either. Um, they lose very little from last year. They're older, bigger, faster, wiser. Um, one of my – so I, I would not predict them to win a bowl game. But there's enough talent there. This is no longer an easy out for the for everyone in the Big Ten West. You're actually going to have to wake up and be ready to play – 
Illinois this year, and they they will sneak oh, no. up on somebody oh, no. this year. I don't know who it's who it's going to be, but they're going to beat somebody that they're not supposed to beat. They're only favored in four games. Sure. If I had to predict, I would I would go um, with five wins on the year. Now, here's why they're not going to make a bowl game to me. There's just too many ifs. Offensive line depth is a big question for them. Watch out for this. If they have an injury in the offensive line, things can go south pretty quick. Um, is Brandon Peters a big-time quarterback? We don't know that yet. How well does he fit into this, the Rod Smith system? Obviously, Rod wants a running quarterback, but he's been successful with non-running quarterbacks in the past. A new Solomon is one example. Um, so how will that run game continue to go without the running threat at the quarterback? And huge question. This is a team that had the worst wide receiver play in the conference last year, and it wasn't even close. They've got a lot of transfers coming in. Will somebody step up and be a big-time yeah. Big Ten wide receiver? And then, of course, going over the de- defensive side, they were absolutely putrid. They were Michigan State offensive bad on defense. On defense. So with another year of maturation, <laughs> will they take a jump? Now, I was really confident they would. And then you had the unfortunate accident with Bobby Roundtree, Bobby defensive end, best player on the team. You know, most people watching Illinois last year, casual fans would say, well, obviously Reggie Corbin is the best player on that team. You ask anybody on the team, immediately they would say Bobby Roundtree is the best player on this team. So how, how do they rebound from that? Do they rally around him or do they kind of wilt under um, the pressure? And also Lovey being the defensive coordinator. Is he a good college defensive coordinator? He hasn't been a coordinator at all yeah. since, what, 2001 or something like that? So there's a bunch of ifs here. They're too many for me to predict a bowl game. But like I said, I do think they're going to sneak yeah. up on somebody this year. Sure. I think it's a fair assessment. So yeah. uh, going uh, into 2017, you, Greek, how's, how's oh Iowa my gosh, how is Iowa going to deal with the loss of Desmond King? Oh, Josh Jackson, pretty much the best defensive back in the Big Ten. Oh, how is the Iowa Hawkeyes going to – how are they going to survive in 2018 without Josie Jewell and, and Josh Jack- – oh, Amani Hooker and Anthony Nelson. And now this year it's always oh, the 2019 defense, Iowa defense, possibly going to survive – without Imani Hooker and Anthony Nelson, you know what? Somebody. It's There's always somebody. That's st- what, when is the last time anybody here has seen a bad Iowa defense? I don't remember. When is anybody last time anybody seen even a good? That's not a good Iowa right. defense. It's been a top 20 defense standard. I don't even remember. I feel great about this defense. I, I, I refuse yeah. to feel bad about a defensive line that has arguably yeah. the best defensive lineman in the entire country at defensive end. Because pass rushing, I've I've learned, is a pretty important part uh, in in uh, football. Mm-hmm. Also, I personally believe the front four and the defensive line will be better and more athletic than the front four last year. It's just that the depth is the question mark with the defensive line. The offensive line also has probably a first and second rounder at tackle. And here's a little stat for you. Nate Stanley has thrown 26 touchdowns as a sophomore, 26 touchdowns as a, as a junior. If he throws 26 touchdowns this year, he will finish fourth all time in the Big Ten in touchdown passes. Wow! I mean, I mean, here, there's there's a stat for you guys. Yeah. Um, long story short, I oh. I 
I feel good about the defense. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly a lot of the question marks that I see on offense, I, I, I understand. There are certain things about Nate Stanley that don't uh, uh, make me exude confidence all the time, but I think there is a lot of things you can point to last year uh, that happened with his injury on his thumb. I am convinced it was not healthy. He was still wearing a bandage on his thumb. In the bowl game versus Mississippi State, a win that Chappie said really didn't mean nothing. Uh, it was a, a completely meaningless game, but somehow he attaches amazing importance to Iowa State's loss to Washington State, which I still I got to figure that out one of these days. <laughs> Chappie, me and you are going to have to get the, get get that uh, ironed out. But long story short, I mean there there are things that uh, cause cause question, but most of it is schedule, and we just don't know. We we all play the funny game of sitting down and looking at schedules, thinking that the teams that we look at now are going to still be the teams that we see play in the middle of October, the beginning of November. The fact of the matter is a couple key injuries here and there, and suddenly a very hard schedule doesn't look so hard. Suddenly an easy schedule looks a little bit tougher than it is. In the end, I'll take the team that has, you know, built inside out and an experienced quarterback. So with that being said, I feel pretty good about Iowa. Yeah, I agree. I, I think uh, Iowa's the team that uh, if you're looking at question marks on any team, I feel best about Iowa with those question marks because of their coaching, because of, you know, how they've handled things in the past. Um, so, well, one of the teams that they're going to have to face in the West is the Northwestern Wildcats. So, you know, clearly a a uh, a miracle Big Ten West champion last year, and the good news is they they bring back a good amount of the the pieces that got them there. So it all starts on defense. Joe Gaziano is probably the most underrated defensive lineman in the country because you know to your point, AJ Epinesa, everybody knows about him at Iowa, but. There's a lot of people nationally that um, will have to look up somewhere where Joe Gaziano plays. Um, they had the two top tacklers in the Big Ten last year, and Patty Fisher and Blake Gallagher. They both return. Question marks are in the secondary, but J.R. Pace, their uh, strong safety is, or I'm sorry, free safety is the returning interception leader in the Big Ten coming back. Um, over on the offensive side of the ball, there's there's Hunter Johnson. And I gotta, I gotta be honest. I'm, I'm gonna believe it when I see it. I would love to sit here and say that I'm confident and comfortable knowing that he was a former number one overall player in in America, and he was, you know, pretty much neck and neck with Trevor Lawrence until Lawrence won the job and Kelly Bryant transferred. But you know, it's it's a different ball game. It's a different scheme here at Northwestern, and the big difference is his receivers. The receivers are not that great at getting off their routes, and so how is the timing going to look, especially having to replace three guys on the offensive line? They do bring back Isaiah Bowser, who was eighth in the conference in rushing last year, and that's really only playing in about nine games. So with a full season and with about uh, an extra 12 pounds of bulk added on to him, how's he going to look this year? Um, you know, in, in Northwestern, it's, it's really about how are they going to do in the non-conference play? How are they going to do early on in the season? Because we all know that Pat Fitzgerald teams gain momentum as the season goes, but they sometimes can't get out of their own way early on. So um, I, I 
I think it's going to be very difficult for them in such a competitive West to repeat as West division champs. But like you alluded to big Kurt, um, if there's any coach that is prepared to do it and can do it when people maybe aren't looking at him, do it. It's certainly Pat Fitzgerald. Uh, Bip, uh, even though they're not part of the Big Ten, they're pretty much a pseudo Big Ten team because they will play Big Ten opponents uh, from time to time, not as much as they used to. But give us the rundown on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish because they are always uh, granted as a potential uh, top 10, even college football playoff team. So what do the Irish look like in 2019? And I'll start it out by saying, no, they shouldn't join a conference. But uh, going into 2019, losses are big on defense, losing Jerry Tillery, Tavon Coney, Drew Tranquil, Julian Love. They also lose their number one wide receiver, Miles Boykin, and their home run threat at running back and Dexter Williams. But Ian Book completed 68% of his passes, and he doesn't have the strongest throwing arm, but he's got a great grasp of the offense. And he's he's got everyone's uh, favorite term for a white guy, sneaky athleticism. Um he they return one of the better offensive lines in the country and Jafar Armstrong is a dual threat running back uh having been a wide receiver in high school and I think he's going to open a lot of eyes this year he could challenge for over 1500 yards from scrimmage um and a, a mess of touchdowns as well they have in my opinion one of the top five group of groups of pass rushers in the entire country this year with Khalid Kareem Julian Aquara Dalen Hayes and perhaps the best uh safety duo in the country in Aloe Gilman and Jalen Elliott their biggest weaknesses going into the year are going to be at linebacker for sure, where they have talent, but not much is proven in that group. And they could have three brand new starters in that linebacker group. They also need to find someone to play the nickel effectively. And their depth at defensive tackle is a little sketchy as they have talent in the two deep, but not much depth. So if they have an injury or two at that position, they could be in trouble, especially towards the end of the season. Um, also their special teams, they lose two four-year starters at both punter and kicker. And last year, their kicker that's supposed to be taking over this year had trouble even kicking, uh, keeping kickoffs inbound. So a little nervous about that, but their schedule has cupcakes like Louisville and the Mexico Bowling Green, but I'm nervous about their trips to Georgia, Michigan, and Stanford. Um, I also don't like how many teams are coming off a bye or a cupcake the week before their matchup with the Irish, but I think they come away with 10 wins this year with an outside, yeah, that, outside that, shot. The way their schedule they can up, I read group. something about I think they'll be in the thick how of everyone's race throughout the schedules Notre Dame at, at the perfect time coming off either a bye or an easy. That's just brutal to me. Um, I have a question. Go ahead. Yep. <laughs> yeah, the, the ACC wow. really screwed them because the majority of those, the uh, I think it's five yeah. of their six ACC opponents are coming off a bye. Uh, I will say this. I don't hate uh, Notre Dame Irish. as much as I used to, but uh, you're not going <laughs> to. Never. Hey, uh, I got one question for you. I, I hope I don't touch on the spot here. Can uh-huh. you give me an update on Avery Davis, the <laughs> sure. quarterback turned running back? How's he been looking? Yeah. How is there uh, actually he's quarterback turned running back turned defensive back. And, uh, he had a lot of buzz going into the season last year about look at, look out for him at running back. Uh, and he's got, it, it never really solidified as he was buried by about game two or three on the depth chart at running back, even with an injury to Jafar Armstrong. 
Uh, but there's been a lot of buzz at him potentially taking over the nickel spot and if nothing else, uh, providing some more depth. So he's a guy that continues to bounce around. And I always question that. I'm like, okay, is this a guy that just seems versatile and maybe we can plug him somewhere? Or is this a guy that truly has no position? So I don't know what to think about Avery Davis going into the season. He could be a pleasant surprise or it could be someone that finds himself with a Notre Dame degree uh, next year. And that's about it. (laughs) Did you, did you, were you born into a Notre Dame? Oh, did you? Okay. Small world. Uh, I was born into a Michigan hating family and it kind of took off from there. Uh, we were both, uh, born, I was born in Texas, Chappie born in Michigan. We lived in Michigan you, and you Notre Dame just kind of took off out of you chose no Notre Dame particular reason. Yeah. Um, but, uh, all, all, th- all three of us grew up with different makes teams. Me question everything I've heard come out of your mouth. <laughs> I chose Notre Dame as my team. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I stuck with them in the early 2000s, so that's got to give me some sort of cred. <laughs> well, this has been fun, fellas. Um, it's been a long time coming, but uh, certainly, you know, you get the four of us. Yeah, yeah, no kid. I was going to say you get the four of us talking, and here we are at about an hour and a half, so we're going to have to wrap this up. Um, you guys yeah, want to do a quick plug on your podcast, uh, on your podcast so everybody can know one. You can find it on all the typical streaming services, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. Give us a a listen and please rate and share and review. And if you you listen and follow Big Kurt, we'll send the first hundred listeners a headshot of him signing an autograph. Yeah, I'm Big Kurt at B1G. (laughs) And uh, do you guys want to throw out your Twitter handle for those who aren't aware? Jeffrey the Greek. And I am at champion underscore lit on Twitter. And I am at BFC BIP. And of course, we are the Bowl Full of Chips podcast, the national coverage of the Power Five with open eyes to the group of five as well. So uh, thanks for tuning in and please give both shows a follow, subscribe, rate, do all that good stuff that makes us feel relevant. So for all of us here tonight, I'm Chappie along with BIP, Big Kurt, and Jeffrey the Greek. Thanks, everybody. See ya. I start to realize that he's trying